Hi everybody. Uh, so this week we're going to be going over Matthew 26, which is known as uh, the last day of Jesus or the final days of Jesus. So just a bit of a recap coming into this section. Um, so we know that Jesus and his disciples have arrived at Bethany, which is near Jerusalem. They've been there for a bit. Um, uh, Jesus has been busy, you know, teaching and um, uh, preaching to his followers, giving out parables, and even um, uh, having the incident at the temple with the money changers. Um, so we know from the time frame of this, it's um, uh, starting out about two days before the Passover feast, which usually happens at the night of, or that night of uh, the Pasha moon, which happens on the eve of the 15th day of that month. Uh, during this time, people are celebrating and remembering the Exodus, um, uh, sort of retelling the story about how the angel of death came over and um, uh, went over the houses or passed over the houses of the Israelites. Um, and from here, we're just going to hop right into verse 1. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the, chiefs of, the chief of priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas. And they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or there will be many who riot among the people. So just something right here. Uh, this sort of sets up the scene that's happening in this chapter. Where we see Jesus is with his disciples and just telling them outright that it is almost my time when I'll be taken and crucified. And then we pan over to the high priests, Sadducees, and Pharisees or they're sort of meeting in secret, which is shown by how um, uh, the place that they meet is actually, um, uh, the Hebrew text is uh, Aule, which is the private courtyard of the house, uh, the house of, of Caiaphas, which is sort of strange in the matters of discussing um, someone who is potentially of a, a blasphemer or you know, betrayer of the church. Usually those matters are you know, taken to the temple, discussed openly at the temple. And the fact that they're taking it to you know, the house of the high priest in a private setting sort of shows what they're doing is a little um, probably not moral in a way. And that's further shown by how I'm a, that line I'm a, where they can't, so they say I, they can't take him during the festival, they can't take him out in the open that they need to find a way to do it secretly or else there will be a riot because there are a lot of people near Jerusalem right now for the Passover celebration that's happening. Um, from here, going on to um, uh, Matthew um, uh, 26, 6, from there we um, uh, get a, goes back to Jesus and the gang. Um, Jesus is currently at the house of Lazarus, um, the resurrected man. And um, we see him, you know, being anointed in oil by Mary, this expensive nard oil. It's a wonderful, beautiful scene that happens, and it sort of is a contrast with um, a Judas going out with, going out to a meeting with the Sadducees and Pharisees to betray Jesus for those thirty pieces of silver, to give them the to give them the location. We then um, uh, go on after that to um, the Matthew twenty six Matthew twenty six seventeen where he goes on to the Last Supper, that scene, where um, uh, Jesus, you know, celebrates Passover with his disciples. 
and goes into the um, uh, eating of the bread and drink of the wine to form the new covenant, which you know the practice now that we now know as communion. Which I'd love to go a bit more into these in this um, uh, section, but fortunately I just don't have the time. But it does have a lot of interesting and um, uh, wonderful parts to talk about. But fortunately, there's just a lot to talk about. All right, so we're just gonna go immediately um, uh, into Matthew 26:36. So. In this section, we see Emma, the morning after Passover feast. Uh, he, sorry, Jesus wakes up feeling sort of sorrowful and heavy-hearted, um, and he um, uh, takes you know what we know now as the big three disciples, uh, Peter, James, and Paul, and they head up to Mount of Olives. They head up to actually to a particular place called Emma Gatsimanium, which loosely translates to place of um, uh, oil pressing or place of um, uh, working oil. Which, I guess, it sort of shows them the, I guess, little secrecy of the place. You know, because who would go to, you know, meet or pray in a place of work, in a place of pressing oil? But Jesus chose this place because, probably because no one else would think of it. So, Jesus tells um, uh, his three disciples, wait here and keep watch while I go and pray. And they say, okay, Jesus, and he goes off and prays. And while praying, he sort of um, uh, prays for what is to come, what what his um, uh, role is going to be in the next the next day, in the next two days, about, you know, about him, and, you know, he has a bit of anxiety in himself about what is to come. And then after that, he comes back down, to his, um, uh, his men, they find them all asleep. He scolds them for not staying awake. And we get that wonderful line um, that they're sorry, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And then from that line, Jesus says, just, just stay here, stay awake, and keep watch. And he goes back and prays again, but this time he has a similar prayer to the first one. But in this, he has a bit more confidence and affirmation in what his role is. And what he is going, what is he is supposed to do? After that, he goes back down. He finds again that his men are sleeping. He scolds them again, and after that, he goes back. That last prayer, and this one has just more affirmation, and confidence about what is to come and his role in it. Knowing, you know, what is to come, but he seems more accepting of the situation, less anxiety of, within him. As he comes back down, he finds the last time that they are asleep again. And as he scolds them, um, uh, he scolds them again. And from here, we're going to go on to um, uh, Matthew 26, 46. So starting it after he um, uh, came down, and they had to wake him up again. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was speaking... Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd of armed, of armed men with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged his signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once, Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you have came for, friend. And the men stepped forward and seized Jesus and arrested him. I'll pause right here for a second. Because this scene has just a little bit of sad irony to it. We see um, uh, 
as Judas is coming up, he discusses with the men that the priests have hired to arrest Jesus, that he will signify who they should arrest with a kiss, which during this time, a common way of greeting your one's rabbi was with a kiss, so Judas sort of took this very respectful and loving way to address your your elder, someone you you know who's very important in your life. And he sort of twisted this with this very sneaky and you know underhanded way. He did it as a way of you know identifying the one he was betraying. What made it a little even worse was that you know it gave that sad irony was Jesus knew, and Jesus like he, he you know he and Ma said before you know you know here comes my betrayer and then how he even greets Judas was after he kissed him was that line do what you have come for friend and that line friend in the Hebrew text Jesus actually uses words I'm, I'm probably gonna butcher this <laughs> uses hetarios or hetaros um, which Jesus ex which translates to friend but Jesus has actually used that line for two other parables coming up to this point to other teachings where he gave him a where he used it that word usually indicated a person who um, sort of abused a privileged relationship as Judas is doing now and you can just like see that Jesus probably used this because maybe Judas would have picked up on it and just sort of felt that even though Jesus was being secretive about it, you know, just by using that kiss that Jesus already knew that it was pointless. That he knew that he would betray him. And from here, we're just going to go and continue on. Uh, with that, uh, I'm uh, sorry, at um, uh, 51, sorry. Uh, with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw their sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot calm my father? And he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels. But how, then, will the scriptures be fulfilled? That say it must happen in this way. In, the, in that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I, rebel, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with your swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sit in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me, but this has all taken place but this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. And the disciples deserted him and fled. So I'm just stopping right here for a second. Um Jesus so we go into like well, there's a bit of a skirmish that happens after Jesus is arrested, but Jesus immediately just stops it. Stops it with just saying, you know, to his men and even to the men that came with Judas, the ones who were hired by the priest, saying, you know, don't. This is something that is that is to happen. You know, do you think I I could not? You know, do you think I would just go if I did not want to go? You know, that line saying he could call down, you know, twelve legions of angels if he wanted to. Sort of that indicates that this is something that is to happen. That because it is the will, it is something that's already been written, already been prophesied, it is the will of God that Jesus goes with them. And after all of that, after all of that, the disciples then flee. They, they leave him and, and flee. 
And then from here, we immediately go from Jesus being taken from the Mount of Olives back to the house of Caiaphas. And I'm, uh, Matthew 26:57. Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter had followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. The chief priests in the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they did not find any, though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two came forward and declared, This fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing up against you? Jesus but Jesus remained silent. The high priest said to him, I charge you under the oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. You have said so, Jesus replied. But I say to all of you, from now on you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. I'm going to pause here again for a second. So everything about these, this trial is just very shady and sneaky. Usually trials are, you know, head like held within the day, uh, and you know if it's a trial as for with, for the um, uh, against the Hebrews, the temple usually it's held at the temple, that public place. But in this case, the trial is held at night. It's held at the private house of Caiaphas, and not only that, it's further shown just how underhanded this trial is by how they bring forth false witnesses. And even all the, after all the false witnesses, only two can actually bring forth, you know, usable evidence against him. But even so, with that, um, the priests and Caiaphas can't actually get the verdict that they want until Caiaphas gives Jesus that leading question, Are you the Messiah? Because during this time, calling yourself and declaring yourself to be the Messiah was seen as a basically calling yourself the enemy of Rome because as a prophet, how it was prophesied that the Messiah would bring down Rome within that within that region. So as Jesus tells him, yes I am the Son of Man and then goes on more about how um, I now see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One saying that yes I am and you will see it. And from here they can get the verdict that they want because as he is saying that he is the Messiah, he's basically basically he's able to get the verdict that he is guilty and that the punishment is death. So from here, on continuing on the sixty-five, then the high priest tore his clothes and said, "He has spoken blasphemy. Why do we need any more witnesses? Look, now you heard the blasphemy. What do you think? He is worthy of death." They answered. Then they spit in his face and struck him with their fists. Others slapped them and said, Prophecy to us, Messiah, who hit you? So then you see that further showing that because of him declaring himself the Messiah, he is given the verdict of death. He is, he is guilty, and he must be crucified. And they continue to mock him and hit him. And from here, we know that I'm a Peter followed him and saw this happen, and we're going to shift on to Peter's perspective. 
from uh, at Beth 26:69. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and the servant girl came to him. You are also with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said, To the people there, this fellow was the Jesus of Nazareth, was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know that man. After a while, those standing up there up to Jesus or to Peter and said, Surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and swore at them. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words of Jesus that he had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. So, just that line right there, that amount that it said on 75. Then Peter remembered the word of Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, he will disown me. So that's a bit of a remembrance. That's calling back to... We can hop over to um, Matthew 26, 31-35. Then Jesus told them, This very night you will fall away on the account of me. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after the, I have risen, I will go ahead of you into Galilee. Peter replied, Even if I fall away on the account of you, I never will. Even if all fall away on the account of you, I never will. Truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, This very night, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. But Peter declared, Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples did the same. Yep, so, going back to that 75, how Peter remembered after the three crows, uh, the three rooster crows, <clears throat> after he denied Jesus, that call back to this section, that remembrance about how Jesus prophesied about what was going to happen. He knew Peter would, one, he would run away after his shepherd, Jesus, was taken. Not only that, he would deny him three times. This prophecy that he told him that would happen, and Peter exclaimed, no, that can never happen. That, you know, that I can never do this, that I, I can never do that. Like, he wouldn't believe it. And not only that, he stated about a future, about, you know, that, that actually would come to pass, that he would die, or well, that even if everyone else said, I would never, that I would die, that I would die along with you. But he didn't. Jesus gives a lot of prophecies during this section, even about Ahmad, about Peter, even about the rest of the disciples, about falling away even about Judas himself. Jesus knew that Judas was to betray him. He knew that he was going to be betrayed, and he was. And even going back to that prophecy about during the skirmish that occurred between his disciples and the guards on the Mount of Olives, Jesus said to them, said that line to them about how if I did not want this to happen, it would not, it would not come. That line 56, but this is all taking place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. You know, back up again, you know, but how then would the scripture be fulfilled? That is, that is to say it might happen in this way.
So Jesus knew he betrayed. Even if Judas wasn't to betray him, he would have been betrayed. That sort of emphasized that fact that I'm up, that point that God's plan, that plan, the true plan, sort of trumps no matter trumps everything you think, even what you believe. No matter how Peter said he believed that he would die along Jesus, even if the other disciples swore along they would die along Jesus, they didn't. That no matter like what your plan is, it doesn't matter. Even if technically at that point, you know, dying along Jesus sounded like the better plan. That wasn't the true plan, because Peter went on to do even better things. That, you know, it kind of brings up the thing that I'm a question, you know. You know, do you, something like I'm a, if you see a, a plan happen, if you see something, if you see the future as the better future, is that the better future? Even if it, is, like, if it goes against God's plan, if it goes against the plan that he gives us. You know, do you choose to listen to what Jesus said, what God says to you? That is what is to happen. That is, that is the plan. Do you choose to ignore it and continue with what you believe? What is to happen? Like what will come? Or you know, do you choose to ignore it and just go on with selfish intent? Or do you follow along with it? Do you go along with the plan? Now, that's sort of like the question that I think this section kind of brings up subtly in a way. No matter what people believed, no matter what, like the close, you know, Peter, James, and Paul, his disciples believed, it didn't come to pass. They thought they would die for him. They thought they wouldn't fall over him, but they did. Everything Jesus said came to pass from this section. Um, yeah, sort of um, uh, other prophecies and also like I'm uh, going back a little further more you know that I'm uh, we know that we know happens is that I'm uh, Matthew 26 2 and as, as beginning as you know the Passover is two days away and the Son of Man will be handed over and crucified which we know happens we know those two happen and we know it does happen because we have that hindsight as of now but I kind of wonder what the disciples were also thinking at that time. Would this happen? Was this was the thing that was to come? So that's sort of what I want to end on tonight. It's just that question. The question is like, do you choose to listen and act and act whenever God tells you to do something? When you know when you're shown the plan. You know, might not line up with what you believe, what you strongly believe in. You know, you choose to ignore it and just go on, and continue and just go on your own path. Or do you choose to listen and choose to press on with God's?